Hello, Blackhawks Nation, and welcome to the latest episode of Blackhawks Insider, the official podcast of the Chicago Blackhawks, presented by ChevyDriveChicago.com. Drive what Kane and Taves drive. I'm Chris Vosters. Coming up on the podcast today, we talk with Blackhawks Univision broadcasters Miguel Esparza and Jorge Moreno about their journeys covering hockey and their secret lives outside the rink. We also break down the Hawks' recent comeback wins and look forward to the games ahead. Much more coming up on the podcast presented by ChevyDriveChicago.com. Drive what Kane and Taves drive. Welcome to the show. It is great to be with you. I'm joined by my two outstanding co-hosts, Kaylee Chelios and Colby Cohen. Home opening week is in the books, and what a weekend it was with two wins at the United Center, both in come-from-behind fashion, a win against the hated Detroit Red Wings on a Friday night, and then a Sunday matinee kids game that got off to a bit of a sleepy start but saw the Blackhawks come back in equally impressive fashion and knock off the Seattle Kraken. I guess, Kaylee, let's start with some of the off-ice fun that you and I had specifically on Friday night before the home opener, walking the red carpet. We were both dressed to the nines, a little more casual now, of course, hosting the podcast, but I thought it was a ton of fun being a part of a hockey event in that way, certainly a a non-traditional experience beyond just a game call or being in studio What did you think? What was your red carpet experience like? I loved it. I don't think this weekend could have gone any better. Back-to-back Hawks wins, three straight, first red carpet in a super sequent number. I recently dyed my hair, so it was the most unsubtle I've ever been (laughs) on anything. I remember walking past Taze when we were all getting into our Chevy cars to do it, and he was just like... (laughs) subtle <laughs> like something's different I can't tell and I was like there's a lot different going on but I loved my dress and the experience trying on the outfits Chris I enjoyed your TikTok was like amazing so I can't complain the red carpet with Scott Darling was amazing he was hilarious and his little interactions with Kaner Taze and some of the guys being on the media side for the first time were great laughing at him and having a good time so Red carpet experience was amazing. Outfits, awesome, and went full glam and then ended with a win. So I can't say, Chris, that it wasn't uh, one of my top weekends, maybe covering sports. It was a lot of fun. I I would put it right up there as well. And special thanks to the folks at 900 North Michigan Shops for outfitting Kaylee and me for the big night, uh, a big night on and off the ice. And Cole, you look pretty dapper as well, my man. I love the suit that, that you picked up. It was, uh, what would you say, maroon or burgundy? Yeah, is that the correct color? It looked sharp. Yeah, probably more burgundy than maroon, but I'm just disappointed you didn't wear a fanny pack. I mean, I had heard a rumor that you were going to wear a fanny pack. Uh, Interesting to see you wearing Gucci shoes. I definitely didn't ever think I would see you wearing me neither such an intriguing (laughs) brand like that (laughs) Kaylee you I expect that kind of you know you dressing up and I mean you really pulled it off but it it was uh, well my family is from Wisconsin and big Packers fans cheeseheads and I remember for my wedding I got a Yeti cooler like tote bag and my aunt was like don't laugh like that is the Prada bag of Wisconsin so I'm (laughs) sure Chris for you that was an extraordinary uh look for all the Wisconsinites back home. I'm sure they love the Gucci style. 
It uh, it definitely turned some heads. It was the first time I've worn a tux since my high school prom. Full disclosure. <laughs> the uh, yes, the Gucci fanny pack definitely made some ripples. I decided not to make it part of my of my red carpet look, but. If we do it again, who knows? I mean, uh, feeling like I maybe am a Gucci guy and uh, just had to <laughs> kind of tease that out a little bit. So, well, you know, you, once you can wear your fanny pack when you wear a turtleneck at some point. I, I think a fanny pack and a turtleneck would be a fantastic combination. Uh, you staying warm on, on the benches too, Colby? I know it's a little icy there, quite, quite literally, uh, but you've been uh, adapting your look for more of a of a warm weather type atmosphere, right? Well, you guys were giving me such a hard time when I put my jacket on, uh, whatever, a couple games ago. Maybe that might have even been preseason. So now I'm I'm going for more layering. You know, I had the undershirt <laughs> going. I had to get bigger dress shirts so I could fit a full long sleeve shirt under my dress shirt. And then I went with the sweater. You know, Wayne Gretzky inspired me. He puts that sweater on and he wears it on the broadcast every week. And he just looks so stylish with the sweater. So I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to try the sweater. And I don't know. I felt pretty good about it. I, I did. I was warmer. Um, it gets cold sitting between the benches, especially when I don't leave the whole game, you know, and you're not moving yeah. around. There's nowhere for me to go. So I'm, I'm still working my way through what what's going to be the appropriate amount of layers without you guys taking shots at me from the booth about my, my jacket choices. I'll, I just got to say, for somebody who grew up in a rink, I am shocked at how cold you get. I've never seen anybody get colder in an arena than Colby Cohen. <laughs> I don't like the cold at all, like literally. <laughs> I mean, if I could have four seasons of hot, I would have four seasons of hot. Oh, I like the cold. I, I can, uh, you know, I like the seasons. I guess I'll kind of split the difference there. Although the, the unseasonable fall weather that we've had, unseasonably warm weather, has been really, really nice and kind of added to the good vibes of the weekend with the team picking up four points in an overtime win against Detroit and then another win against Seattle. Uh, what's going on with, with the penalty kill? I mean, I got I to gotta ask, you know, you guys <laughs> see the game in uh, – in a very detailed way, for me, I I've never seen anything like this before where it's almost like you take a penalty and it's like, all right, we're about to score. Uh, four shorthanded goals for the Hawks in a three-game stretch. They've scored a shorthanded goal in three straight games for the first time since February of 2009. I, I mean, Colby, is this just a case of, of puck luck? Is it something that the coaching staff is doing from a philosophical standpoint to generate all these chances with a man down? I think it's a little bit of everything. Um, I would be lying if I said there's not some puck luck involved here because um, you, you need it when you're down. But I think a lot of it has to do with the philosophy and the freedom that the players have to you know be more aggressive on the penalty kill. Um, in the NHL, players are, are so good. You know, you look at these power plays on every team and there's just superstar players. And for the most part, when they have one more than you, when you're overly aggressive, it's going to burn you and they're going to make plays around you. So most teams are more focused now on blocking shots, you know, staying tight. Um, you know, we were talking during the broadcast last game about the shot blockers on the hands, the feet, you know, these things are different. And so a lot of teams really just rely on being really good, you know, well-structured in the defensive zone and then really dumping the puck down 
getting fresh legs on the ice and not really applying much pressure up the ice, but it's just a mindset and it's a freedom thing, Kaylee. And you and I have talked so much about it in the, in the studio of their ability to really just go down the ice and feel that, that freedom to do that. Yeah, I agree. And I think as a young group, they've been able to develop some chemistry among the forward pairs. I know forwards really like going with the same guys because they can play off each other and anticipate each other's tendencies, which is great. And I think, too, the PK is just all about work ethic and compete and putting your body in front of shots, getting the small details of it. And Luke Richardson, I think, is a huge part of that. So not only is the team buying into the system, the philosophy, but they're buying into him and the coaching staff. So they're having fun coming ready to work every day, and that's translating on the ice. Tyler Johnson talked about that after the last win. And I also think a little bit of, like, Luke Richardson, I, I know a couple people had mentioned Rod Brindamore, just as players, coaches that have come into the league, Rod the Bod, they're both staying in great shape, they're practicing with the players. <laughs> I love that nickname, um, and awesome. <laughs> I think Rod he's Brindamore awesome. Rod awesome guy, yeah, me too, I'm with you. And, and Carolina kind of raised some eyebrows with their power kill, you know, a couple seasons back. It's one of the most aggressive PKs in the league, and they're just all over it, creating chaos, forcing other teams' power plays to play faster and make mistakes. And I think Luke Richardson's done a great job at trying to implement some of that, like Colby talked about, aggressive behavior on the PK, and it's translating into offense. And, and Chris, look, I've never seen anything like this in being around hockey since I was a little kid. Kaylee, you know, you could chime in if you ever did. You were born into this game. Um, but I've never seen something quite like this where they're scoring this much you know, consistently on the penalty kill. Yeah, I mean, when I was a tiny tot, I don't think the PK when our dads all were coaching us was that impressive, so I certainly cannot speak to my own experience killing penalties. Tiny, tiny tot. With my bucket and my turtleneck, absolutely not. I uh, We didn't have that, that kind of philosophy. Yeah, no, definitely not. But I agree. I, I haven't seen an aggressive penalty kill the way that we have in the last few seasons. Um, and Tampa Bay did it, too, so well. Like, Anthony Sorelli is a – underrated kind of selkie caliber player and uh he was one of the best players i've seen at anticipating and reading plays knowing when to pressure and i think the hawks so far have shown some really positive glimpses of of doing that as forward and and deep pairs as well well we're a couple of weeks into the season now and you know it, it's maybe a little too early to say okay there are some outright surprises here but and I, I look at the Central Division for starters, and Minnesota's gotten off to a slow start, which is surprising. Their goaltending in particular has been pretty bad. Uh, it looks like the, the Vancouver Canucks are, are pressing the panic button. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs have been a little shaky to start. Otherwise, you know, you mentioned the Carolina Hurricanes, Kaylee. They look every bit the part of a, of a Stanley Cup contender here to start the season. Uh, any any storylines or any surprises NHL-wide that, uh, I guess, Kaylee, I'll start with you, that you want to highlight or emphasize here? Um, I'm on board with that. In the beginning of the season, I said, like, Nashville was going to be a, a little bit of an underdog, and I was excited to see Vancouver. <laughs> they all have kind of tanked. Minnesota has tanked. Very unexpected from Dude, what I brutal. thought. <laughs> Watching them in the preseason – I thought they looked great, and they had Rossi and these young yeah. players that I thought were going to flourish to start the season, but it's still early. For Minnesota, um, you know, I, they're a contending team. 
So I would like to think that this start for them is really disappointing. Vancouver, too, like you mentioned. When are you going to start to see some coaching changes at this point? Like, it's hard to think that we're already having that conversation, but they got off to a really slow start, too. But I'll say one thing um, not related to that, I guess, like your thoughts on Phil Kessel's Ironman streak and potentially setting an NHL record for it against San Jose, but he has an opportunity to to um, play in his 989th against Toronto. So, I mean, Colby, I guess, what's your thought on what that streak means? Keith Yandel um, set the record at 989 and what it takes to accomplish that. Well, I think it's really fitting for Kessel that he gets to potentially do it against Toronto. Obviously, he had a lot of success there, played, you know, a good portion of his career in that city and and did it well. You know, I think Phil was pretty consistently putting up points and and um, doing it well and taking a lot of heat as well. I mean, we see these American players, they go into Toronto and you know, the fans love them, but they also love to give them a really short leash. So I think it's really fitting. And look, I, I just would say to me, it's one of the most impressive things that I can see in this sport and in this game. I really personally struggled with injuries as a pro hockey player, um, was was able to get through my three call, you know, my three years I did it at, at BU with minimal injuries because when you did get injured during a game, you know, you had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to, to, to figure out whatever the problem was and, you know, kind of get ready for Friday night. And so um, when I got to pro, it just started falling apart. I broke my foot in training camp one year. I had to have hip surgery. I had to have sports hernia surgery. I mean, it was one thing after the next. And, um, so it gives me a personal appreciation, Kaylee, for just how impressive it is for, for what Phil Kessel's been able to do. And, um, you know, I, I just really commend him, Keith Yandel, Doug Jarvis, any of these guys that have put these streaks together. I mean, look, I think playing an 82-game season without missing a game uh, is, is just yeah. so wildly impressive. Chris, you know – you, you're now around the Blackhawks for your second year. You were you were kind of in and out a little bit last season, and you'd come to practice one week. The next week, we'd have five new players called up because of injuries, and, and COVID is a whole other, you know, factor that Phil Kessel is able to, you know, maneuver <laughs> his way through. So, Great you know, Kaylee, I know that was a long-winded answer, but I just have so much appreciation for what Phil Kessel is about to accomplish, and – um, the guy gets uh, unnecessarily dragged in the media for all different other types of things. Um, but, you know, I'm rooting to see him continue to win or excuse me, continue to play, continue to score goals. Um, and I'd like to see him have a, a big year in Vegas and continue to 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 knock the doubters who, who are negative about him. Yeah, I'm Chris. Why don't I, I mean go ahead? I don't want to cut you off here. Cause well, I like just a, for a, to 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 for a guy that gets mocked for his dad bod, I, I mean maybe we should all be asking Phil Kessel what his kind of recovery and workout strategy is because right? the guy is about to play in more games consecutively than anyone else in NHL history. So maybe we should be doing what Phil's doing in the off season and in season. I'm all about that. I'm not on a program right now. I'm down to get on the Phil Kessel program, and I I agree. I think it's kind of crazy, and I. Know know he's gotten a lot of jokes and whatever but if I'm him like I'm disappointed that the narrative isn't about 
I've played, you know, over a thousand games and I've played nearing a thousand games consecutively. And yet the first thing people are talking about as in the setting the record for Iron Man is my body and just being out of shape and how I don't look like an Iron Man. Like he scored like north of 300 goals over like he's nearing a thousand points. You don't just get, you know, numbers like that and win cups on championship teams if you're not you know, going to the dirty areas of the ice. Maybe he's not the most physical player necessarily, but I certainly wouldn't begin the conversations like I've been hearing around the league with, you know, he's this, you know, physically, you know, he's not in tip top shape and all that. I, I would be highlighting if I'm Phil Kessel, like he's almost played a thousand consecutive games. That's incredible. He's yeah. not only about to break the record, but like, let's talk about that. Not the dad bod, which I don't know as a player, like how, how, old that gets especially when he's about to set an nhl record i don't think that would be what i want people to be talking about well and i think it, it paints a good picture for people that everybody has a little bit of a different path i mean we don't have to look too far to to, to talk about chris chelios who you know i don't know what his you know games played in a row record is but your you know your dad played a legendary amount of professional hockey games and was always well known for being in unbelievable shape. And, you know, I hear he still gets after it pretty good with, you know, his, his uh, activities, whether he's riding up mountains or whatever. <laughs> and he still stay, I mean, you see him around the United center and the guy's still in incredible shape, at least it, it appears. So, so everybody <laughs> has a little bit of a different path to being a longtime NHL player. That's a really good point. All right, let's move to the next segment of our program, Sellies or Chirps. The three of us each bring a local story or relevant topic to the group and ask if it should be celebrated or chirped. Colby? This one, yeah, this works good off of uh, what we were talking about earlier because <laughs> it's been really warm the last like five or six days in Chicago. We had 75, 80 degree days and my neighbor is telling me how annoyed they are because it's warm out. I'm like, why are you annoyed? Well, we're ready for, you know, jackets and we've already put our pumpkins out and everything. And I'm like, why are you upset that it's 75 degrees? Well, we've already moved on from the hot weather. Like I, I can't wrap my head around that type of thought process. So <laughs> I mean, is, is that a thing here? Like, are people, do they celebrate the cold? I mean, what, what's, what's going on? Are we celebrating it? Are we chirping it? I mean, me, I'm celebrating any day that I'm not freezing. So where are you guys at with this? <laughs> Chris, you go ahead because you've seen okay. some cold days in your life. <laughs> well, first of all, it's interesting that you bring this topic up, Colby, because I still remember in May of this year, like you were, you and I both were wearing a winter jacket at one point in May. So it's it's like, you know, and by the time May rolls around, everyone's really sick of the cold. But I, I think in the Midwest, especially when you grow up in the in the upper Midwest, you are very loyal to the seasons. And look, there's this inner body clock among people who live in this part of the country where it's late October. It should be a little bit chilly, a little bit crisp. And when it's 75, 80 degrees, I mean, people kind of tweak out. Now, now, me personally, I love the warm weather. I know we're about to get strapped with, with five straight months of, of sub 40 degree weather and probably, you know, three straight months of sub freezing weather. So 
I will take this bonus time with warm weather 100%. But, you know, I, I so I'll, I'll celebrate the warm weather, but people get a little cranky when the weather is not what they expect it to be, whether it's too warm or too cold. I second that. I think the key word is crisp. I like crisp at this time of year, so it is a little warm, but it's not summer heat. So I'll take the weather that it is right now all day, every day. I had my kids outside the entire day on Saturday, and uh, we painted our chicken coop. But that... Where are the chickens going to go when it gets below freezing? Are you bringing them into the house? I guess they're... they're they're really tough. They, I guess okay. they do that. I don't, I don't know. know. I'm learning. <laughs> I don't either. I but I, I, just, I, <laughs> I hope I didn't just like alert PETA that you're like torturing chickens, freezing my Kaley, chickens at the Chelios residence. <laughs> it's my understanding they are winter strong, so I think they'll survive the winter. And I'll start bringing you guys some eggs in the morning when we get to game days. I'm excited too. <laughs> hey, chickens have been around a long time. Highly evolved species. <laughs> they can they can handle the winter Chris weather. Right? Sure you need to take after trouble. the chickens, Colby. I think <laughs> you could learn a thing or two. <laughs> Chris is putting a bow on it. Good job, Chris. You're a professional. Here's my celly or chirp. I was at a Second City comedy show the other night, and we got to the end of, of the two-act show, and it was, it was very funny, and they said, hey, if you want to stick around, we have a bonus third segment for you with a special guest. And it was, of all people, NBA player Blake Griffin, who Ooh. came to prominence notably with the Los Angeles Clippers. He's played for several teams in his career, the Detroit Pistons. Currently, he's with the Boston Celtics. So... He comes out on stage, you know, 6'9", just towering over everybody on stage, and was thrown into the middle of an improv sketch that went on for a solid 20 minutes. And it was one of those improv scenes where there are two people or so actually acting, everyone else is on the side, and then when someone wants to jump in, they tap out another person or just jump into the, the sketch. So... Credit to Blake Griffin. I thought he was very funny. I was shocked that a, a pro athlete would take himself or herself out of their comfort zone in such a way. And I mean, these guys are used to, to performing in front of thousands, if not millions of fans. But but here he was in, you know, on a comedy stage doing improv, something that he probably doesn't have much, if any, training in. So I would I would celebrate the fact just that he was out there making himself vulnerable. But what would you think if you saw a celebrity cameo appearance in a, in an improv act? Would you just be impressed that the person was was up there doing it, or you know would would you uh, just be like, okay, this needs to be more than than just a, a celebrity appearance? Like let, let, I'm going to hold Blake Griffin to some kind of comedy standard here. I'll go first. I say Selly big time. I like him a lot. I think he's really talented. And shout out Scott Darling, too, because yes. <laughs> I could never, ever do that. I would be so awkward and nervous on stage. But Scott said when you make a big save and the crowd goes wild, there's like nothing like landing a joke and the crowd going wild. So that's a huge celebration for me. I don't think you could just be a celebrity and make a cameo to be funny. And do that is like a whole nother ball game that I can't relate to. 
Yeah, I mean, just having the courage to do that. I mean, I'm celebrating it as well, um, especially working with Scott now and having him tell us and sort of teach us what it's like because we always have so many questions for him about his his stand-up comedy and, and um, you know, where he works on his jokes and, and other, you know, situations. So that's pretty cool that, that Blake Griffin had to do it. But I guess my question about Blake Griffin I thought he got really popular for dating a Kardashian. Are you sure it's from? Am I, do I have that right? Or because like I feel like that that is where I really knew who he was because I don't really follow the NBA that closely. <laughs> Kaylee, I need you to help me Card- out here. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, I know you watch the Kardashians. I'm sure yeah, you've seen Chris, the new episode on Hulu. Stop, stop, just stop. You you have a girlfriend. You you watch the Kardashians. Let's be honest. I I actually um saw him do like a lot of comedy and he was in a couple movies. So I forgot that he dated Kendall Jenner from the Kardashians, but I'm not surprised, Colby, oh, that you are that you are Kendall on top Jenner. of that. See, I thought he dated Kim Kardashian. So see, I'm I don't even have my facts. I think right. you're thinking of Chris Humphreys back in the day, her second marriage, NBA player, big tall guy. Oh, that's right. That was mm-hmm. the one that lasted like ten days. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking of. Seventy two, so but I don't I'm, watch. Who knows? We're not keeping track. <laughs> right? But you're not surprised that I know. Okay. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Okay, so mine kind of fits what we spoke about today with Phil Kessel being in shape. Um, I've seen a lot of things in Chicago. There's like a pumpkin patch slash family fit obstacle course that you can go to in Lincoln Park. There's a few of them in the city. I'm going to chirp saying I don't like to mix workouts and physical fitness with my pumpkins and my eating and drinking and celebratory fashion. So do you guys do like turkey trots or would you go through this family fit obstacle course while you're pumpkin patching and eating cider and donuts? What's the, what's the vibe Colby? I'm going to, I'm going to (laughs) take your side on this one, Kaylee. I'm probably not mixing alcohol and fitness (laughs) <laughs> and those activities all sound like activities that are heavily alcohol driven. Um, <laughs> so definitely no turkey trots, no polar plunges. No, none of those uh, <laughs> events are happening in the, in the Cohen household. Now, you know, who knows what happens later in life? You know, kids start to enter the picture. You know, maybe we're out uh, doing the pumpkin, Trotting. you know, exactly. So I'm not going to say <laughs> never, but for now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and side with you on this one as, as a chirp. I, so I have done turkey trots. Uh, you know, don't, don't, don't knock I it until you, you try would. it. That's all, that's <laughs> knew, all I'll say. I knew you had, Chris. <laughs> but here's the thing. I, I think you have to, it's all about managing your expectations, right? I mean, if you're going to this this family fit day, I mean, sure, I understand that's what it's labeled, but you know, don't if you know that there's going to be cider donuts and and delicious food and drink there, and you want to partake in that, by all means, go for it. But don't don't think that you know running an obstacle course is going to offset that kind of calorie intake or anything like that. So just be realistic. I mean, maybe I, I guess I understand where you guys are coming from by assigning a chirp to this because it's like, look, this is not actually something that you're going to, you know, close your move ring on, on your, on your Apple watch by doing, doing family fitness and a, and a pumpkin race at, at Jefferson park. So I, I think it's cool. I, you know, I like the way that they're trying to market it in a, 
in a healthy way. Like let let's let's be active. Let's be. It's an organic let's have fun. Turkey yeah. Turkey trot. <laughs> you know, well, a turkey trot. Hey, that's a five k man. I mean that that gives me an extra portion of mashed potatoes at. Uh, Kayla, you at really the, invited the fun sponge. I l- I knew actually after here. I thought about it, I was like, oh, Chris is one hundred percent a turkey trotter. <laughs> Polar but I love that I love that you said that. But I was thinking like you don't like to TikTok do the Michael the Scott time. load up on fettuccine Alfredo and then take off <laughs> on oh <laughs> donuts and cider. <laughs> That's just... what I'm picturing. If I'm gonna do it, maybe it's like the former athlete. Like I'm setting a PR if I'm gonna do a turkey trot after I've had donuts Kaylee's, and cider. Kaylee's pushing Bella out of the way. Get out of my. <laughs> The, the the office 5k episode is is maybe one of the best in the in the run of the show that is <laughs> that is such a funny episode but no fortunately there have not been any michael scott 5k moments for me um although that is one of my favorite episodes yet we're going to dedicate yet. one podcast to the office alone and there's so many hockey ties with michael skates on ice performances <laughs> fettuccine gate i'm very excited down the road to uh, get the office involved here. And I know you've got some company in studio. I heard Scott Darling is also an office fan. He quoted Michael Scott at the, I think it was the <laughs> second intermission of our Seattle Kraken broadcast. So I know that won't be the last office reference that I that I hear on Blackhawks intermission well, live. Especially when sure. we're sitting there and the, you know, in-game broadcast and we're like, oh, okay, like we're going to hear what studio says. And then, you know, we'll all kind of pass it around and talk a little bit about it. And Kaylee, you go and you you're giving like a serious, you know, what you think the Hawks need to do to 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 hold on to the lead or to get the lead. I don't remember the exact scenario. And then, you know, Scott chimes in in the last nine seconds and you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. Michael Scott, like, I mean, there's, there's just nothing we can do with that. Except yeah, he's caught he's caught me a couple times off guard where I. I didn't expect him to land a joke in the moment, and then I start laughing on set, and I have to gather myself a little bit. But I was like, okay, Wayne Gretzky, we're getting the mentality going going into the next period. (laughs) All right, guys, good stuff on sellies and chirps. Uh, Can't wait to see what we come up with next week. We're really excited to introduce our podcast guests for this week's episode. Miguel Esparza and Jorge Moreno, the Spanish-language broadcasters, for Blackhawks Hockey on Univision Deportes Radio AM 1200 TUDN. Miguel is the play-by-play voice on Univision Deportes Radio, and Jorge is his color analyst. These two guys are, are some of the busiest guys in Chicago sports media. Miguel does Spanish-language play-by-play for the Blackhawks, the Cubs, and the Bears. And Jorge is the regular full-time analyst on Spanish-language radio for the Blackhawks and Cubs and does a little bit of Bears on the side. So two longtime Chicagoans who have been part of the sports media landscape in the city for a long time, both super interesting to talk about. And as we have wrapped up Hispanic Heritage Month, we really wanted to get the perspective of Jorge and Miguel and get to know them a little bit better. So we really think you'll like our conversation with the two of them and we will absolutely be visiting them with them again on future Blackhawks Insider Podcast episodes. Take a watch. Miguel, Jorge, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be with you. 
Uh, Miguel, I can tell you've been on a lot of podcast interviews, my man. That is a sick man cave backdrop you've got going on there. I see a hockey stick. I see some bobbleheads. Uh, any memorabilia that you want to point out to us? I, I think I have a little bit of everything. I have uh, Julio Cesar Chavez right here, boxing legend. Patrick Kane up here, that's signed. This one's signed by the whole team. I have Chris Chelios bobblehead right here. <laughs> and then I have the oh, I love that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking. I don't know if you guys know a connection. Somebody that could get that autograph from me. I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know. <laughs> I I don't even have a Chris Chelios bobblehead, but I'd be happy to to pass it on to him. <laughs> it's gonna well, cost me- you a couple bottles of tequila, but we'll do that. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. <laughs> we got. He always pops into the radio booth at the UC with John and I. We got to get him on uh, you and Jorge's broadcast one time. He's always eating popcorn. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's that would do be it. Amazing. <laughs> Well, Miguel and Jorge, welcome to hockey season. Uh, you know, the, the the team had a nice run at the start of its homestand with the come-from-behind win against Detroit, another come-from-behind win against Seattle. And I guess I'd like to just get your thoughts on the team so far and, and kind of your initial impressions of the Blackhawks under head coach Luke Richardson. And Miguel, I guess I'll, I'll start with you. You know, what I've seen from this team is a team that doesn't give up. And I think we've seen it throughout these comeback uh, from these come-from-behind wins. And, and the way that they fight, especially on those power plays, these guys are not just laying an egg. These guys are out there fighting each, every time, wherever that puck is. And obviously those shorthand goals are just beautiful to see and be able to call. So it's just been one of those exciting times at the United Center. And I love it. And I, I would completely agree. You know, seeing the, these new players come in, especially these free agents, Anthony Sioux, Max Domi, and contribute right away to this team, stay locked on, on the goalie uh, you know it's just been amazing and the uc's been rocking and there's no better place to be than at the uc while it's rocking and the hawks getting some wins you guys both grew up in the chicago area obviously so you're very familiar with chicago sports culture but I, I, jorge how did you originally get into hockey and and how did you get to the point where you're now an analyst on chicago blackhawks broadcasts well my passion and love for hockey initially started with nhl 94 i don't know if you guys played video games but uh <laughs> that was you know that was like that's what started everything off and then little by little as, as i got older I, you know i kept playing hockey games and uh I came across a pair of tickets back in 06 to go watch a, a home opener. And I just, you know, fell in love with the game. Just fell in love with the, with, with the rink, with the excitement, with the, just the sounds of hockey. Because they're very distinct sounds to any other sport. And just little by little growing with the passion. And then, um, you know, with the, the championship teams came about. And, and how can you not love a, a, a winning team? Um, and then uh, Univision actually started uh Univision and uh, the Blackhawks came together and they looked at me and they're like, you know, you like hockey. We know you speak good Spanish. Would you like to, to become uh, one of our analysts? And I said, of course I would. You know, it's a dream come true being a Chicagoan. And what, Miguel, what, you Chris, gotta, I got to interrupt you here because I, I, it, I have a follow up question. <laughs> what, what were you playing NHL 94 on? Were you a Nintendo guy, Sega Genesis guy? I mean, that's that game is legendary. It is. Sega Genesis was my was my console back in the day. So I, I it was it was a big uh, big cart. NHL 94 was a little big cart. So I, I put it I put it on there, and it was just uh, love for the game. And then uh, what was my next game? Like NHL 2004, and just you know like legends like Mike Modano was one of my favorite players. So just you know being able to play with Mike Modano and, and celebrating those goals. Like I felt like, you know, I was part of the hockey culture. 
I think Sharpie Sharpie on our broadcast last uh, game was talking about Mike Madonna being his favorite player. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, that's funny. That's that's such an interesting thing to hear that the video game is actually what drew you into that game. Chris, I don't know if you ever had that game. Kaylee, I got to think you guys had the NHL, <laughs> you know, 94 and above and hits and all those games in your house, right? Yes, but as the – third sibling with two older brothers i'm professional watcher of every game like my sister and i never got to play unless they needed a snack or a bathroom break so we were always last on the totem pole to actually play but i've watched it for like 20 years (laughs) i'll totally echo what what you said jorge that video games was a big part of the reason why i got into wanting to be a a play-by-play broadcaster so I would call it call it we're just a product of our generation or whatever you want, but definitely that's uh, a, a, how a lot of I think people our age got into loving sports and even wanting to become sports broadcasters. But you know, speaking of, of getting into this industry, uh, Miguel Esparza has had a very very long career in in entertainment media that that's come in a variety of forms. And uh, Miguel, we can I, I would certainly love to dive into your professional past uh, in a little bit here. But as far as getting into play by play broadcasting specifically, how did you make that transition? You know, it, it's one of those things that um, I was going to say fell in my lap, but no, I, I made it happen. Um, so there, there was a, a I've always loved sports. It's I'm a go getter. So um, one day it was just one of those things. They brought me back to a radio station. I was rehired by a radio station that were broadcasting uh, the Bears at that time. And I told them right off the bat when I came in, I said, one of my uh, plans or one of my, what, what I want to do when I come back is be on the Bears broadcast. I, I said, that's just on my, on my list. And they were like, okay, well, good to know. Then it happened that the, t- the, the, the programming department wanted to make a change. They remembered, Miguel, you said you wanted to be on this broadcast. Do you have a demo? I said, yeah, absolutely. And I went and created a demo for it. You know, I watched a, a video on YouTube, created the demo, sent it over, and I was on the broadcast the next game. So it, it was just uh, self-taught, uh, go-getter. I, I said, you know what, I want this, and I'm, I'm going to make it happen kind of deal. I love that. I have a question, Miguel and Jorge, yeah. both of you, actually. And you'd mentioned that you weren't taught how to do hockey play-by-play. Like, you weren't brought up with how to do it, especially in Spanish. So with hockey, the, there's such a weird language sometimes, like toe drag, top chatter, sauce. Like, it's a very unique kind of culty. What are some of the ways that you were able to to take those adjectives or verbs whatever it is and like make it your own because i'm sure there wasn't like a direct translation into spanish in your broadcast so how did you kind of create your own language in a way you want to take that george you want me to take it you can start off and i follow you yeah i you know one, one of the things that like i said I, I wasn't taught how to do none of this i i, I learned everything on, on my own pretty much and and just the way that my mind works is like okay how can i make this sound good for our audience and and make them understand what i'm trying to say whichever with every single play that i'm calling because uh, you know radio uh, we have to be on every single second i'm uh, i'm i'm non-stop you know so i have to make sure that yes i have uh, certain certain ways of saying where they are and how they do it but like direct translations that's something that i never never i didn't i didn't even look into it just because it was like I, it's just difficult to do you know 
And, and I agree, adding to what he said, adding to what Miguel said, it is difficult, but at the same time, I try to get certain words from different sports. For example, in soccer, you see a pass that's a little bit more uh, like a, a kind of like a saucer pass, if I could relate it to soccer, and I just try to translate it as much so that the, the Spanish-speaking community could relate it to a sport that they know. So that's uh, that's how kind of worked around the worked around the words in hockey. But nonetheless, the, the people have gotten our fans have understood and they keep liking our, our, our broadcast. So I think that's, we've done a, such a, we've done a good job so far. Well, being self-taught is super impressive for you guys. Chris tried to teach me how to do play-by-play last year in Seattle by unplugging <laughs> his headset in the second period and leaving me high and dry on a broadcast uh, early, early in the year. So the fact that you guys were able to just teach yourselves how to do it is, is, is so you. impressive. And, the fact that you guys are doing it for not just the Hawks, the Cubs, the Bears, how do you go from game to game? You guys were doing a Hawks game 24 hours ago, and you know within a couple of hours that we're talking, you're going to be doing Bears Monday Night Football. I mean, does, does your brain get jumbled with all the numbers and the names and the rules? I mean, we have enough trouble coming up with rules just for one sport, let alone two or three in three days. Yeah, no, uh, our brains are just weird, you know. <laughs> George, see, see, this is, but this is why we're such a good team. I, I, I really like with George. I, I really, George. I always tell him, you're my other set of eyes, but you're also my other, my other brain. You know, anything that I miss, anything, and he knows exactly where to come in for everything. And when it comes to preparation for these different sports, you have to turn off, you know, uh, just one sport, and 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 sometimes you just mix them up. So, like, uh, I was driving to the United Center on Sunday, but I was watching Bear stuff because I had already in my brain the night before looked at All Hawks the that, the day before. So I just wanted to just submerge myself into Bears a little bit more, so that by the time that Monday came around, I I was already a little bit within there. But my preparation also comes from arriving um, usually three hours prior to my brain works in the kind that I need to have it you know, uh, fresh. So I have to have that. So my, those hours of preparation are very key for me as well. And I, and I agree, obviously, like for example, for tomorrow or for, for our next game, I'm already looking at the roster, looking at, looking at the names, the pronunciations, their stats. And that comes with any and every sport. Baseball in itself is also another, like a daily grind, but it's uh, like, like the saying goes, when you, when you do something that you love, it's never hard or it's never, it feels like work. It just feels like passion, and and in getting there early and seeing the sights, seeing like in, in the hockey, seeing how they are uh, the, the Zamboni, them clearing the ice, just the the madness before the storm really helps you out, like clear the mind, and then you just start getting ready for 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 the game, and it's just an, it's an, it's a very good adrenaline rush, I could say. Well, fellas, uh, I can totally relate to doing what you love to do. One thing in, in my career that I've had to learn along the way is is finding balance and and stepping away from work, actually, because I love it so much and just finding other areas in my personal life that, that I can grow and develop. And getting to know both of you, I, you both are very interesting and have some really interesting experiences and and backgrounds off the air or beyond the sports broadcasting world and I guess for for, for Miguel you have a, you know a, an alter ego truly as an Elvis tribute artist and so we had a, a pre-game broadcast dinner before the start of the season in the West Loop and I, I, I have to apologize to you Miguel because you kind of like just 
you know, let it slip matter of fact that you're an Elvis tribute artist. And I think for the next 20 minutes, I was just like grilling you about like everything that goes into being an Elvis tribute artist. And I totally just took over the conversation. You probably wanted to talk to other people about maybe the Blackhawks or something like that, but you were just answering my question. So for the, for the people out there that, that don't know what goes into being an Elvis tribute artist, Tell us a little bit about how you got into that and then kind of what your shtick is like, maybe some of the songs that you like to sing and, and just how you go about performing as an Elvis tribute artist. <laughs> so, so, okay, so, you know, it's, I love Elvis. So as a very young kid, I, I found a tape my dad had and I listened to it and I was like, dude, I love this, you know. When I was 15, my dad drove me down to Graceland and, and just that was it for me. I, I fell in love. Later on in my life in radio broadcasting, I've been doing this for 21 years now, but there was a little window where I was off. I was directly not at a radio station. However, I was doing voiceover work and, and working with a station in Kentucky remotely. And uh, I said, well, I need a job. You know, I need to find something for during the during the, the week that I can do. And uh, cousin of mine worked at a casino in Joliet. And I said, listen, are you guys hiring? He says, go, go on the website. Check if you find something that you like. Let me know. And it's, there was a position that said um, celebrity pit dealer. I clicked on it because it was interesting to me. And it said must know how to sing, uh, dance, whatever. So I called him up. I said, what is this about? He says, well, they're going to have different um, representing different artists. You're going to be dressed as an artist dealing blackjack. So I was like, dude, I sing like Elvis, you know. <laughs> I don't know how to deal in blackjack, but I can sing like Elvis. So he's like, all right, give me a second. Calls his boss says i have an elvis guy she's like can he come down to the casino right now <laughs> grab my guitar drive to the casino played a couple of songs i got hired and they put me through dealing school and then just started performing there from there i went into a band performing locally throughout joliet plainfield area and um so yeah so that was but eat sleep breathe elvis in that period of time just to know his mannerisms and even how to grab the microphone, you know, the little the little things that you have to, to perfect to be able to pay tribute to such an amazing man. So do you have a song prepared for us then? <laughs> yes, he I'm does. always prepared. <laughs> 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 you know, a lot of people don't know this one. It's called Kentucky Rain, but it's one of my favorite songs to perform as Elvis. So here you go. Seven lonely days and a dozen times ago, I reached out one night and you were gone. I don't know why you run, what you're running to or from. All I know, I want to bring you home. <laughs> Dude, that was insane, man. That was so good. I closed my eyes and I like could not tell the difference. I thought I didn't think you were actually singing in some of these videos. I thought it was a like a cover. Like I thought you were lip singing some of them. No, no, that no, was I'd amazing. Say, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Jorge, it's great to know that you play a little Elvis before games to get him in the zone. Do you guys have any other fun pregame rituals or what's your favorite part when you get to the rink together? John Weideman likes to dab up whoever his partner is for the night and get going on the broadcast. Do you guys have any fun things that you like to do before the games? Uh, we usually take on a nice little walk downstairs, and then we go we go to the cafeteria, catch up, so get something to eat. And then after that, <laughs> it's just straight up showtime. And whenever I feel uh, Miguel either a little nervous, a little too quiet, I, I give him a little uh, a cue on uh, Elvis, and he starts singing, starts letting loose, and I know it's uh, I know it's showtime <laughs> after that. 
I love that. You guys have great chemistry. That I mean, it, it's kind of like a, in a weird way, it's sort of like a, a marriage or something like that. I mean, Colby doesn't like to uh, acknowledge <laughs> that, that, we're that, that we're that close as broadcast partners. But. No, I do. You know I love you guys. <laughs> no, it is true. I much it prefer to spend time with Kaylee than you, but, you know, I don't get to make the schedule. <laughs> Yeah, with George, it's like when I don't see him, I'm like, hey, dude, you good? <laughs> Usually, uh, Jorge, he has a you... favorite drink. Uh, it's called ma- uh, Manta, uh, Malta. And I usually, uh, before like uh, a big game or before, actually, before the uh, he sang the seventh inning stretch, because I knew he was nervous. I knew he was a little nervous before he sang the anthem and the stretch. I gave him uh, his favorite drink. I'm like, just take a deep breath and relax, <laughs> and you're going to do great, buddy. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that, Miguel. How awesome of an experience was that singing the national anthem before a before a Cubs game? Man, that was unreal, you know. And and this year was the second time that I did it, but for some reason this year was just the it, it was just on I, I would want to say a bigger stage. I, more eyes were on us. More eyes were on what we were doing, and we made a great connection with the fans uh, at Wrigley and and around Wrigley. And so it was. It was just a little bit more special this time around. But like George said, I, I, I was I was nervous. Jorge was like, Miguel, just breathe and, and relax, you know. But I, I was nervous, like you can you cannot imagine. Um, but it was great. It, it's one of those things that my passion is singing um, from the get go. When I went into radio, was because I wanted to say to sing. I wanted to be able to to get my music on the radio somehow. It didn't work that way, but you know. But the career worked out, you know. But <laughs> that's what I love to do. I love to sing. That's really cool. Jorge, you talked about going to nine or seven different countries and seeing the Hawks um, in all over the world, Sweden, Finland, Russia. What do you have a bucket list item that you're chasing right now? Or what's been one of your most surreal NHL experiences so far in your career? Uh, I I think it would have to be either going to Montreal, another original six team, and just seeing how they, they live and breathe hockey. That in Toronto, I think both of those cities, just being around all those fans, it's like kind of like I was at the UC, but just on the opposite side, you know, just wearing my Hawks gear and, and being able to scream a goal as a fan on, at, at those stadiums in those cities. It's just, it's amazing. And, 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 and you kind of like, you, you, you feel you feel their passion for it and you come back home and you just feel that much more proud of your team, of your city. And it's just, you know, it's, it's amazing. You know, First and foremost, to travel to a different country and then to travel to doing it for, for, your, for your favorite teams is just best of both worlds. Did you do any broadcasting when you were in Montreal or were you there as a fan? No, I just went, I went in as a fan. I did, I did both of those. I did actually a, a three-game trip. I started off in Ottawa. I love taking the bus, so I took the Greyhound to, uh, to Montreal Whoa, and then took it back to Toronto. Guy. So that's, uh, wow. that's, that's my form of traveling either. Whichever way I can that's get commitment. to where I need to get there to get is, is how, how I'll get there. Are you not a good flyer, Jorge? Are you are you scared of being up on a plane? <laughs> no, no, no. I've just I've just traveled so much in my life that it's just I, I don't it doesn't matter. I've traveled for thirty six hours on a bus to go watch a soccer final for two hours to take the thirty six hour bus back home. So it's just however I could get there, it's just that's 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 my method of traveling. What soccer game did you do that for? Uh, it was a, a, a soccer final called, it was a Tigres versus Santos. So my favorite soccer team is Tigres from the city of Monterrey. And they were on a 29-year uh, uh, drought, championship drought. So I told my mom, like, you know what? I got to go. Grab the backpack and just head on over. <laughs> That's incredible. So, Jorge, I got to ask, 
World Cup is coming up in in November, and your dad is from Ecuador right. and your mom is from Mexico. Right. So both those teams, and and for that matter, the United States, all three of those nations are in the World Cup. So. How are you going to be uh, dividing your rooting interests in the World Cup? That's, it's funny you say that because they actually played uh, Mexico played Ecuador in 2002 in the Korea Japan World Cup, and I remember I remember that night vividly. My mom was in one room, my dad was in another room, and it was just like, <laughs> where do I go? Who, who am I rooting for in this game? You know, but uh, but you know, you find you find time you find time to root for each and every team. You know, like going back to your roots and and, and on my on my father's side, Ecuadorian side, just. Uh, seeing his passion for the game and my grandparents and then on the mexican side we obviously we know how how mexican people they love soccer so it's just uh finding finding time for for both cultures it's always it's always nice but you didn't answer the question who you're rooting for (laughs) 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 Uh, you know i would say i'm rooting for ecuador I'm, i'm an ecuadorian at heart too so all right, there you go. Isn't isn't there a pretty heated rivalry in soccer between the U.S. and Mexico, where like the U.S. hasn't won a game in Mexico in as long as they're tracking it, basically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they not in Mexico, but in the U.S., uh, the, the the national team has Mexico's number. So it's been a, it's been a great rivalry, and that's another one in my bucket list that I would love to to attend, especially in Mexico City in Estadio Azteca with ninety thousand fans. So those are those type of matches that, you know, you as a sports fan, you live in and in, in breathe for. Get that backpack ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Miguel, I saw that. Oh, sorry. Go you, ahead, Real Chris. quick, you, you, can't, you can't take a bus to Qatar, though. Like, you so you're thinking about <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's, a long, that's a long flight to Qatar. So. Some Oregon Trail stuff right there, if you are. <laughs> Miguel, I saw that you went home for the first time in like 16 years to Puerto Rico to see family. How was that experience um, and what they think of your, your broadcasting career? Yeah, no, that was fun. I, I actually lived in Puerto Rico as a kid. I was out there. I went to school for a couple of years in Puerto Rico. So um, like you said, 16 years, it, it was a long time for me. And just because of work, you know, there was there was no no way to leave everything that I was doing. And, and this year, there was a, a kind of like a little family reunion. It was actually my one of my uncle's uh, 50th year wedding anniversary. And, and a lot of family from Florida were going to be there and, and from Chicago as well. And I looked on the schedule. Cubs were away for that week. So I, I don't do the away games with the Cubs. So I was like, I'm going to Puerto Rico. So I made sure I, I, <laughs> yeah, I booked a flight. And, and it was cool. It was, it was real good to be back there and just – made me think why did i wait so long to come back and just seeing my family out there my aunts and uncles and cousins that i had not seen in so many years it was it was just refreshing and and i loved every single second of it well fellas listen it's been great having you on and and we'll definitely get you on again later in the season to continue to talk about the team and uh, this has been a ton of fun. We know that as Colby mentioned you guys have work to do tonight as we tape this monday night football Bears, Pats, uh, and then of course another Blackhawks game against against the Panthers coming up around the corner as well. Um, but I guess to get before we go, you know, the, I just wanted to ask the 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 Spanish language community is is so large and so diverse. But you know, as far as it relates to the game of hockey, you know, how do you think the the sport is is doing in the Spanish speaking community and you know, what do you think about its its potential to to grow with uh, with and among Spanish language fans? I think the Blackhawks have done such an amazing job at at getting Latinos to the game. 
the past couple of years where, we, where we've done the different events at the atrium, like the one we're, we're, um, we're having and, and, you know, th those little things. And now it, once we're at the United Center and we look at the, uh, at the scoreboard, when you have fans on there, you see a lot of Latinos that are in the stadium. And, and it's cool to see because, you know, and, and for me, I know Jorge has had this passion for hockey for a very long time. For me, it's new. For me, uh, I always here and there saw it, but it wasn't like that was the, the sport that I was following. Um, just because growing up, it wasn't a thing that my father said, let's go and watch a Blackhawks game. It was let's go and watch a baseball game. Um, so I think that's the, the what we've been doing. And, and obviously the relationship that the Univision has created with uh, the Blackhawks has been fantastic just to have that outreach and, and be able to really show the beauty of the sport. Because like what I mentioned a, a while ago, it's very similar to soccer. It really is. And for me, I'm not a soccer guy, but I love <laughs> hockey so much. You know, it's like uh, it, it's so exhilarating. It's just so good. So so for the people that actually love soccer can get a little bit of this. And it's just you, you once you see it, you, you know, you won't go back. <laughs> I, I also think it's been amazing how the NHL as a whole has been accepting the, the Hispanic communities all around the country, because now I believe it's five uh, NHL teams that have uh, Spanish broadcasting. Including the the uh, Nashville Predators, I believe they have every single uh, game this year. So I think it's just amazing, just for us being a uh, one of the original six teams to, to having Spanish broadcastings all over all over the city. Like you said, the, the Chicagoland area is so diverse, and and for the for the fans to be able to listen to the sport of hockey in Spanish, for it's a blessing for us and an honor for us to be the the voices behind it. But it's also a lot of responsibility, and I think. Uh, I think it's it's been an amazing ride so far. Well, again, we really appreciate you coming on. And uh, again, you guys uh, are, are so involved across the Chicago sports media landscape. And, uh, you know, you're you're a big part of, of what we do with the Blackhawks, obviously. And it's great to call you colleagues. And again, we'll, uh, we'll absolutely have you guys on another episode of the podcast later this season. And Good luck with the with the rest of Bear season, and uh, we'll see you at the United Center as Blackhawks season rolls around. Thanks a lot for coming on, guys. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Much appreciated. Well, great interview from Miguel and Jorge. Again, honored to call them colleagues and really excited to see what the rest of the season has in store for all of us. Halloween, it's here. I've certainly enjoyed seeing the fall decorations around town. And Kaylee... Plans for Halloween? I mean, are you a big costume mom? Do you like dressing up the kids? Do you have costumes picked out for this Halloween? Uh, yes. Working in sports, as you know, you don't always get to celebrate. So when I was in Tampa, I kind of missed a few years of Halloween. But I used to take a lot of pride in handcrafting every costume I made myself. The last couple Amazing. years, thank you, um, my Ivy costume from Batman, I handcrafted all the glittery leaves myself on a corset for hours. Um, didn't get a single picture that day, but that's probably my favorite costume that I did. Did you have to but, wear a red wig for that? I was going to say, you could go with Poison <laughs> Ivy this year, Kaylee. Yeah, I, was gonna, like, I know. Really I think I've been manifesting off. red because last year the family was Scooby-Doo gang and I was Daphne. And this year, before I dyed my hair, I wanted to be Wilma and the kids are going to be Pebbles <laughs> and Bam Bam. So the husband, Danny, is out of the picture. Fred's out, but... It's uh, it's Wilma in action and the kids, so I'm Listen, excited. <laughs> Danny would be an awesome Fred Flintstone. I know, and he, he was supposed to build He's the modern Fred he, Flintstone. He is He's Fred Flintstone. Fl yes. A little uh, more sophisticated, but he is the modern <laughs> Fred like Flintstone. Goes and builds a sauna. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I wish he was here for it, but uh, he's he was supposed to handcraft the like dinosaur car too thing where you like scabadabadoo or, or no that yeah is that scabadabadoo I was mixing Scooby in there, but thank you. That's gonna be my costume this year. <laughs> Colby, I know that you've uh, not that you're dressing up this year by any means, but you've got uh, a pretty epic costume history thanks to your lovely wife Alex. I've had two probably that I'm that I was not mortified by in my life um, or that were good effort ones. And one year, I think it was my first year pro Halloween parties are big in, in hockey teams go ham for those Halloween. (laughs) The wives get really into it. The players get really into it. I've had years where we combine the Halloween party with the rookie party. Um, So one year I was LMAFO, you know, the guy with the big hair from LMAFO. Um, and -hmm. I actually have a picture of that, like deep, deep on my Instagram. And I was actually pretty proud with how that turned out when you like put a, put like a side by side to the fact where my friend from college, um, who went with my wife to the game the other night said something to me about that costume. Like she somehow remembered that. So that one I was pretty proud of. And then maybe a couple years ago in Philly, my wife took me to some Halloween party, made me dress up as Willy Wonka. She did vi- the violet thing, painted her face blue. Um, and I kicked and screamed, and I was not happy about it. But she did do a very, very nice job putting the costume together. So I, I appreciated her effort. Yeah, I- I'm sure Alex would absolutely be able to put together a, a stellar costume. And that, that picture was, uh, was excellent. But, but LMFAO, so uh, are, are you sexy and you know it? Colby, is that, <laughs> that was not. That, that, I did it with one I'm of my so other. so glad you asked that. I, I did it with one of my other teammates. Uh, what are their names? Like Big Foo or something like that? Or Red Foo or something? I don't know. It's so long ago. Those guys haven't had a song in forever. I'm going to have to look at my Instagram now and see if it's still on there. And if it is, I might have to hide the photo. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Kaylee, hearing that Chris, you put you together be? your kid, well, I, you know what? Uh, so unfortunately, <laughs> I got invited. My, my girlfriend is going to a, a 1980s themed murder mystery party, uh, but it's the Saturday of the Ooh. Buffalo Sabres game, unfortunately, so I won't be able to go. We'll be out of town, but she's got her basically prom dress picked out for it. Um, but I was reflecting back on some uh, some Halloween costumes that that I've aced and hearing actually Kaylee, you say that, that you make your kids costumes. Oh, that's, Oh boy. That's amazing. That's a straight doppelganger. Oh my, <laughs> oh my gosh. The, 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 the tagline for the, for the, for the Instagram, and this was 2012. It, I wrote shake that. So I didn't write I'm sexy and I know it. Thank, thank, oh. thank God I didn't write that. Cause you guys are, are those two different songs. Shake. Yes. That? Yeah. That's a different um, song. I think. I can't remember. They were both so good. They've lasted till now, though. (laughs) But Chris, what what is your uh, reflection costume? So my mom, when I was a kid, made made a lion costume for me, completely from scratch, if you will, by hand. It had a mane and everything, and I think I like even wore that to school. You know, I was like so (laughs) so so obsessed with this costume. Yeah, so. That would probably be costume number one for me. I, I probably need something more recent to add to my costume resume. But, uh, you know, when it comes to Halloween costumes, maybe I am a little bit behind in creativity. But we'll have to change Kelly, that. Do you, but I, 
I always use work you, as an excuse. Do you remember last year, Kaylee? Um, remember how Dylan Strom's wife dressed their little girl up as their dog? Do you remember that costume? I remember you and I talking about it because we thought it was like so stinking cute. Um, do, do you remember? Wrigley, no? I don't remember. Um, I can't think of the picture, but that sounds very familiar. Any baby yeah. and a puppy. I made my daughter like... a puppy for the first time <laughs> for Halloween. You have to do it. They're so cute. Okay. Lion so is take, also all right, cute. I'm taking notes then. I'll, I'll remember that. Got to dress them up as a puppy or Winnie the Pooh. A lion is adorable. Shout out Mama Vosters for uh, <laughs> making one of your top costumes all time. We're going to need to see pictures of that, Chris. I know. They're around. They're around. I can... I can dig one up, I'm sure. <laughs> well, listen, we are out of time on the episode, the latest episode of the Blackhawks Insider Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a happy Halloween. And remember, you can always visit Blackhawks.com for more content that's available 24-7. Special shout-out as well to Brad Dollar and Southside Jake for the music featured on the podcast. We will talk to you all next week. <laughs>